Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 153 on the MyFit Podcast. This week on the show, I'm honored to chat with Jack Jablonski. For those of you that are Minnesota natives or hockey fans, you've probably heard the name Jack Jablonski. If you haven't, Jack's life changed forever after he was hit illegally during a high school hockey game at Benilde St. Margaret's in 2011. The resulting injury left him quadriplegic. In a flash, Jack rose to local and national recognition. The ensuing outpouring of support has been a key factor in helping Jack work towards his personal goal to someday skate again. Today, Jack continues down down his road to recovery, believing that every day holds the potential for something amazing to happen. Jack is an incredible inspiration to everyone he comes into contact with and is also a living testament that it's not about what life throws at you, but rather it's how you respond. Some of the topics we got into today were first growing up as a Minnesota hockey player. As most people know, we are the, the, the state of 10,000 lakes. And during the wintertime, those lakes are being used for hockey. It's a really big deal around here. And I wanted to dive in a little bit deeper as to what is it like to grow up in Minnesota as a hockey player with dreams to be a division one hockey player and ultimately play in the NHL. Then after that, we got into the night of the injury and we reflected on everything that happened. We broke everything down, talked about what was it like on December 31st, 2011, when Jack's life changed forever. After that, we talked about coping with life of paralysis. What were the beginning stages like? What were the ups? What were the downs? What was really frustrating? What were some of the memories that you remember now? It's been 10 years in the beginning of living with paralysis. After that, we went through his recovery process in a chronological order and, and talked about his first big win. It's a really cool story about how he felt his arm kind of nudge and move as he hit his hit his brother uh, in a playful banter. And that was a big eye-opening moment. It was a really big win for not only him, but also his family. After that, we talked about a moment, a shift when his mindset went uh, into a completely different um, retrospect. And he had this quote that ended up being a tattoo on his body. And it's, an, and it's really embodied kind of who he is now. And the quote is, I understand my injury. I don't accept it. Really cool to hear the meaning behind that. After that, we talked about setting small goals during his therapy sessions. And then at the end, we talked about transitioning out of Minnesota and why that was uh, necessary for him to grow as a person and ultimately graduate from the University of Southern California and now today work for the LA Kings. And then at the end, we talked about a message that Jack would like everyone to hear from him. A lot of people uh, talk about Jack. They relay the story of the night that happened. And over the last 10 years, Jack hasn't really had a, a lot of opportunities to really speak or have a platform where he could uh, let people know kind of where he's at. So we ended up talking about at the end, just a message that Jack would like everyone to hear from himself. 
If you guys are interested in learning more about Jack's road to recovery and would like to donate to his foundation, I highly encourage you to check out his website. It's www.jablonskifoundation.org. And I'll put that in the show notes for you guys to go learn more about him, his road to recovery, and ultimately give to his foundation. This was a incredible, uh, emotional, and just a phenomenal conversation that I think a lot of different people can pull things out of. I believe that what's most personal is also what's most universal. And this story for Jack is super personal and it's personal to him, but also everybody around the world has somehow uh, had the opportunity to hear him. Jack was on several news stories uh, every single day after his injury. And it's just so cool to see the progress that he's made, the movements that he's had in, in his body and how he's ultimately coped with this injury and kept a positive mindset this entire time. Uh, he's just, when he walks into a room, he lightens up the room and it's so cool to see how he is able to shift the way he thinks about this setback and also how he keeps in mind that he still wants to get back on skates someday. Truly an inspirational story. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. And if you do enjoy it, be sure to leave a rating and review as that makes my day and helps my show grow tremendously. I thank you all for the continued support. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So let's get to it with Jack Jablonski. Let's go. Jack Jablonski, welcome to the MyFit Podcast, man. I'm super excited for this conversation today ever since getting in touch with you. I've been really looking forward to this uh, conversation. Oh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Absolutely. So for my Minnesota listeners, a lot of people recognize your name. They recognize Benilde St. Margaret's and your story. We're going to get to that for sure. But before we do, I'd like to just paint a picture, Jack, a little bit about who you were growing up in Minnesota. What what was life like before the injury? Talk to us about kind of um, growing up in Minnesota. Yeah. So I grew up in, uh, in Minneapolis, specifically in Uptown. Um, still live there when I go back to, to Mini and stuff like that. But um, I was, I was a big sports guy, you know, a big time athlete. I played four sports, tennis, baseball, hockey, and golf. And um, I, you know, live, breathe and die athletics. And, and obviously that was something that, um, still plays a big part, uh, in my life, uh, in terms of the injury, but everything after and, and what I do now for work. So, um, but you know, you look before the injury, I was uh, a much quieter, more reserved person, always happy go lucky, but, um, it was interesting because, you know, I, I just grew up as what you think is a normal kid, just into sports and stuff like that. And, um, you know, as, as I got older and, and got into to high school and stuff like that and, and, you know, started to really pursue hockey and, and, you know, try to build a career, or at least, you know, work your way up the ranks. Uh, that was definitely the, the trajectory of life, but um, things hit a, a turn a sophomore year of high school. And, and, you know, here we are. Mm -hmm. So if you don't live in Minnesota, you don't know, I guess, how popular hockey is. It's a huge deal in the state. <laughs> At what point, Jack, did you decide I'm going to be, I want to pursue hockey more than the other three sports? And when did it become uh, more than maybe just a, a after school hobby? It became a real passion for you. Do you remember a turning point in your life? Yeah, I think it was probably like sixth, seventh grade, you know, in that peewee area. I kind of started to realize that I was, you know, not just an average hockey player and was much better and, and you know, had the potential to, to play at higher levels, you know, obviously high school and then on to juniors and college and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, that was kind of where it started to click of like, okay, I can really, you know, set my mind to this and focus on it and, and try to just, you know, be the best hockey player I can be. And obviously, um, you know, I was on that path and, and stuff like that, but, um, that was kind of the, the, the first, you know, area or, or time that I noticed like, okay, I'm a leader. I'm obviously one of the better players on my teams, you know, in youth hockey, um, you know, always led my, you know, team and goals or points to, you know, with, with, along with one of my teammates as well. So, um, you know, that was when I started to set myself apart from your average player. And then that's when I kind of started to really focus on, on hockey as a, you know, a passion, but also kind of a lifestyle as well. When you look back, Jack, at your um, your hockey career, what's a memory that comes to your mind, obviously, before the injury that uh, will stick with you forever, something that you like to think about or look back at? Maybe it was a high point in your career. Is there something that comes to your mind right away? Um, you know, freshman year, uh, the, the whole season freshman year, and that was when I was still in youth hockey. So I was playing for it went back and forth between like Minneapolis park and St. Louis park. Cause like organizations were merged and all these little weird things. And, um, the, the group of, you know, guys that I played with, you know, we were a small organization and a big, um, you know, section or division or whatever it used to be region, um, with like Orono and, uh, you had like Maple Grove and Wyzetta. So we were always like the, the small guy and we'd get killed, um, every other year but then this year we we put together a team that was really good we had a deep team and um you know shocked the world beat Wyzetta three times and and ended up beating Edina in the you know the regional tournament and made it to the state tournament and ended up taking fifth uh after losing in the first game of the year so um unfortunately that was you know a bummer in losing in the state tournament but um you know in my career I made the state tournament in youth hockey twice as a undermanned small organization and that was obviously something that you know was a great experience and and fun to be a part of but i think that whole year of of just the youth team and, and the bonding and um you know the success that we had and, and everything that we were able to grow in was uh was awesome and you know that was definitely probably you know aside from the year that we won the state tournament with everything that happened to sophomore year of high school uh that year itself was was you know one to remember and, and a high point in terms of um, success within my, you know, hockey career on the ice. There's just something sweet about beating Eden Prairie and Wyzetta, isn't it? It is. Edina, <laughs> Eden Prairie, Wyzetta. Um, you know, when you're the little brother to a lot of those organizations and you grow up losing to them all the time because you're just a small, you know, little, you know, little, you know, section or little part of the city it's uh it's tough you just learn to hate them and obviously for many obvious reasons as hockey fans know in minnesota so uh yeah there's nothing more than than beating the big guys who are spoiled and, and have all the assets in the world right so we're about 10 years out from uh your big life-changing injury jack i'd love for you to take us back to that night december 30th mm -hmm. 2011 paint the picture of where were you what was the circumstances you're playing for benilde st margaret's we're in the excellent energy center can you just paint the picture for the listeners that don't know your story yeah we were uh in the championship game of the holiday tournament and uh you know benilde was obviously a you know, we went into the year, I think, ranked second in the state. We had a loaded team, a really good team. And, and I made the team, obviously, as a sophomore, along with a few other uh, guys in our class. And we were kind of just working our way up the ranks. And, you know, again, we had, you know, 
probably I'd say eight to ten division one players or at least division one caliber players above us in terms of class so juniors and seniors only on top of excuse me um on top of four in our class and then you know more to come later but so we were you know we we we're at the bottom of the totem pole, obviously. So worked our way up and um, we're still in the process of it. And the way that our coach, you know, strategically coaches, you know, he lets the, the older guys kind of work their ways, work their way out of the lineup or work their way down the lineup. And, you know, so we kind of just had to wait our turn. So, um, you know, we go into the third period tied, um, you know, I ended up hopping on the ice. We go into the, to the D zone. Puck pops out of the corner. I go down on a two on two with a line mate of mine. You know, I w- I'm right handed, but I was on the left side of the ice, uh, just the way that the the play played out. And um, so I, you know, obviously tried to go to the net. I went wide, got behind, uh, got by the defenseman I was uh, going up against, and then um, you know the defenseman on the weak side took a chance and tried to cut me off, and successfully did so. So I, you know tried to turn around and, and find someone coming into the zone late to move the puck to, to try to create another offensive opportunity. And as I did simultaneously, the guy that I had previously gotten by hit me on the shoulder. And uh, one of the back checkers who was coming late um, from the other team against why, uh, why obviously um, hit me simultaneously into the boards um, so I don't know if it got me in the neck or the back or whether it was an elbow or a stick, but, um, I went, you know, head first into the boards, um, completely, you know, out of control because of the hit. And obviously it was an illegal hit. So, um, unfortunately that's, you know, part of the game and head first into the boards, you know, I don't remember the contact, uh, itself from the head. I don't remember hitting the boards, but, the second I hit the the ice, you know, and, and I kind of just woke back up or, you know, fell back into consciousness. And, um, you know, you, you kind of just, I was laying sideways. So I was facing the boards as I, you know, you know, kind of started to realize what was going on and you hear the arena go silent. And, and obviously for me, everything was numb. I couldn't move or feel anything. I, you know, I've got more feeling and movement now than I did at that exact moment. Um, and we'll, get into that i assume but um uh it was you just things stop and, and life just kind of slows down but at the same time you know your mind is racing you don't know what's going on obviously you've never had this feeling before <laughs> when everything just completely goes away so then there was you know excruciating pain in my neck and, and everything else below it was just as if it wasn't there so um you know back and forth with the emts you know they thought that I could get up. You explain that that's not going to happen. The parents come on the ice and, you know, obviously the emotions start to hit them and they realize the severity of it and um, end up getting stretchered off and um, off we go to the hospital. And that begins the, uh, the journey that's, you know, still going on today. I can imagine there's a ton of thoughts that go through your mind and, you know, it's one of those moments where uh, time just stands still, I'm sure. Talk to me a little about what were some of the thoughts, if you remember, it's been 10 years, I know, but what were some <laughs> of the thoughts that you remember going through your mind, either when you were staring at the boards or when you're on the stretcher looking straight up? Do you remember some of your first thoughts? Well, the first thing, which is extremely ironic, is when the EMT came out on the ice and 
she and I were obviously conversing about, you know, what, what to do and stuff. You know, uh, the first thing she was like, all right, let's try to get up on three. And I was like, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't understand. And then as we were starting to talk, obviously she realized the severity of, of what was going on. And the Did coach that surprised you that she said that she said that that's surprising well, no, because not at that time, it gets even more surprising <laughs> in a second, okay. but, um, you know, you never know what the injury is and you never know if someone's milking it or if the person's injury prone or just isn't strong or whatever. And, you know, so it was kind of one of those things where it was like, all right, let's, you know, I was like, I, you know, obviously I'm communicating like, Hey, I can't move. I can't feel anything. And, you know, that could always be something like, Oh, you know, it's just a stinger. Like it'll be fine. And, and whatever. Um, but obviously as a few seconds, minutes go by, obviously that was something that wasn't the case. And um, as things started to escalate and, you know, the coach is there, my dad comes out on the ice or then my mom comes out and a, a few minutes after that, you know, once the EMT is on its way and they're starting to kind of dismantle my equipment and take my skates off or take my gloves off and my helmet off and stuff like that. And they're, they're holding my neck. I, looked at the the lady and I said, am I paralyzed? And for me, which is so weird is I look back at my 16 year old self and a, I don't even know if I truly knew what paralysis was. Sure. And you know, a, it was, she responded with no, which is the right thing to do. Cause a, you don't know. And B, if <laughs> you say yes, that could spiral out of control emotionally real quick. So that was, that was the big thing. And it was just a matter of like, you know, communicating with like the coach coming out on the ice and like seeing his face as things were starting to, to kind of be put together. And then the dad comes out and then mom comes out and, and that's where you're just like, okay, this, this isn't normal. <laughs> um, and for me, it was, which was so interesting was like in my head, like as much as things weren't right or normal, uh, even like going into the hospital and being, you know, you know, in the ambulance and stuff to me, it was always like, all right, I'll be back in like two weeks and stuff like that. Like, right, you know, right. obviously this isn't going to be that bad. Right. Um, Cause I had never really dealt with it. I never broke a bone prior and never had dealt with any significant injuries that had me out um, of the lineup or, you know, sidelined in any sport at all. So injuries were not something that I had dealt with in the, in, you know, the previous world of life. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I went balls to the wall here on the, the first real injury, unfortunately, but, um, you know, that, that I think was the, the real, yeah, I, you know, ironic or at least interesting conversation that, that I always can go back to, um, when the injury did go down. Sure. So a lot of pain, a lot of confusion probably is what I'm sensing. Yeah. Were there any other emotions? Like, did you ever feel anger? Did you ever feel pissed off at that other kid or the situation? Is there any other emotions that unfolded as reality started to slowly set in for you, Jack? Yeah, no question. I think um, loneliness was a big one because at that age, you don't know anyone that's in this oh. position. You don't know anyone with paralysis and, you know, being born with paralysis and, getting paralysis or two different things. Now you're obviously dealing with the same thing, but the emotions of a normality being taken away is something that um, is hard to conceptualize and accept and, and, you know, battle. Now, again, I'm not trying to, <laughs> 
paralysis in general is uh, the worst thing you could ever ask for in life. You know, I wouldn't wish this thing upon my worst enemy, but uh, loneliness is one anger. No question. You're trying to deal with it. You're trying to, um, you know, cope with uh, your new reality. Um, you know, I think the, the big emotion that I think, and it still hits you today because of the life that you have to live when you have paralysis or at least this high of an injury is what you miss out on. And that's, you know, you're talking uh, a 16 year old that is about to get his license, taking away the independence of just going out and living you know, your two best years of high school, let alone debatably of your life. Cause of, you know, you just go out, you get to be yourself, figure out who you are as a person. You know, you have your license, you're independent, you're with your friends all the time that you don't have. And then you have four years of college where again, debatably the best four years of your life where you just get to be yourself. And, um, you know, obviously I went to college. I had a great college experience at USC out in California, but it's not normal and it's not what you know it should be when you're in a wheelchair and you live with someone who has to take care of you and and don't have the independence or um can't live the that life to the fullest so um i think a lot of those motions are still ones that you you obviously have to battle to this day um because you have to make a ton of sacrifices and and when you're injured at 16 you grow up real quick because you know that's that's where you know life as you knew it obviously is over but at the same time um, you know, you have to, to realize that you're fighting a battle that, you know, the, the strongest of minds are, are, you know, still going to struggle with. And at the same time, you know, let alone at the age of 16, when you don't even know who you are as, as a person. Yeah, I can only imagine rewind me back. So we, the injury happens, you get into the ambulance, you go to the hospital. If you, if you can recall mm-hmm. what happened next. Yeah. Uh, it's um it's really interesting because um ambulance felt like a a 60 second drive let alone i went you know you know it was probably like a 20 minute drive or whatever but it felt like 60 seconds you know things are all over the map um you don't know what's going on and you know you're scrambling but second i got into the hospital um uh uh, my parents were in and out of the ER because they were doing stuff. There was probably 20 people surrounding me. Um, two things that uh, that are very set in stone in my mind um, in terms of memories are, one, I probably had a full-on argument for a few minutes with whoever was talking to me about my equipment. Because as a hockey player, as an athlete, you know, don't mess with your equipment. Like, you're don't touch it. Don't touch my stuff. I know. Don't touch I it. Yeah. yeah you're you're superstitious so they were like yeah we got to cut it off and i was like nah (laughs) like hell no (laughs) again in my in my head it was two weeks and i'll be back on the ice and they're like you know we got to cut your equipment up and i was like you're not cutting it up like don't mess with my you know you know and all the equipment of hockey it's not just you know let me take your jersey off so they cut the jersey off they cut the shoulder pads everything breezers sliced apart i still haven't seen it to this day um by choice um and uh so that was one. And then uh, the other part, once I lost that argument, um, was uh, they had about 45 pounds of traction on my head, pulling my head off my neck to, the comp- to get rid of the compression of uh, the break of the bone. Um, so there was 45 pounds pulling my head off my 
body essentially, which was extremely painful, um, as you could imagine. Um, so those were the two things. And then it was kind of just like in and out and you're dazed. And obviously the second you get in to the ambulance, your, you know, IVs and, and whatnot are, are, you know, making you all loopy and stuff like that. And, and obviously, you know, you're dealing with the pain. So, um, it was in and out. And then the, which is extremely ironic is the, uh, the last thing I remember was I was on my way to like a CAT scan or a CT scan and they're, you know, asking me like, all right, like, you know, have you done drugs or, or drank alcohol in the last, you know, you know, 24 hours or the last week or whatever. And for me, I was like a really straight line, straight edge kid, um, didn't drink, didn't smoke or anything. Uh, and you know, I was 16 so, and I was extremely serious about hockey and we're in the middle of a hockey tournament. So I was like, what a dumb question. Um, so I was like, no, not at all. And, uh, and, uh, so we go into the CT scan, you know, get a little bit claustrophobic and I close my eyes or whatever. And I wake up essentially from this days a week later, I don't remember anything in that, in that whole week from Saturday to the following Saturday. What? And in that, in that time, I have two memories, which is one, having a conversation with my grandma because all I could eat was uh, Jello and ice chips. Yeah. So I had a conversation with her about her making me like a different flavor Jello because I was just so sick of the stuff at the, the hospital. And then the other one was uh, a conversation with Lou Nanny because, um, you know, he's one of the goats or Mount Rushmore guys in the... Uh, um, in Minnesota hockey history. So those are the two things. Oh, and, uh, and a baby crying, you know, late at night and stuff mm-hmm. in the, in the ICU. So those are the three memories I have in all of the, the one week from Saturday, the injury to the following Saturday. Um, and in that time I blow up on social media. I'm in the news every day. Um, and I become famous, um, via social media you know you you will get to that i i'm guessing next here is you know so many nhl players baseball players artists everyone in minnesota the community the high schools the the whiteouts all these things happen in this first week that now have gotten me to where i am today and i have zero memory of it Man, that's insane. It sounds to me, even even you telling the story back, I'm imagining myself in your situation, Jack, and I, I feel overwhelmed just hearing it. I can only imagine how <laughs> overwhelmed you felt. Did you ever have a moment where, I don't know, maybe those first two weeks where you had a moment to just go and just exhale? Or was it always just, I'm on the news, I'm getting follows, <laughs> I'm doing all this stuff. Like, Did you have a moment to just settle it down for a second? Did you need that? Well, it was extremely overwhelming, but I guess I'll go to the negative first. Overwhelming in the place where in the first, within the first two weeks, I remember having a conversation with a therapist and the conversation was, I don't like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. I don't like, I want to like end this type of thing. Um, and then I think that was a huge turning point because uh, within the next, you know, it, within that conversation and, um, you know, credit to her, I wish I knew her name or at least remembered <laughs> anything about anything anymore looking back. But um, 
you know, I think within that conversation, I came out in a positive mindset. And obviously, when you're put into the media, but in a, you know, while it was obviously a dark, dark place and a, a dark time in life, um, it, you're also supported. It, it made things so much easier. And that's, that's what's truly gotten me here today. Like I would not be where I am today without the, the support from everyone because uh, you look at all of the um, media attention and the interviews and the support and the thousands of cards and gifts sent and the jerseys and the, the amount of famous athletes that you grow up idolizing that are messaging you on your caring bridge and stuff like that. It made everything so much easier because it like gave you that community that was behind you to always, you know, support you positively. So I, I was very, very lucky, um, you know, truly second to none in terms of the, the support that, that truly drove me to, to where I am. So, um, you know, the emotions were obviously high and it was extremely overwhelming for my family and, you know, all four of us, my brother, myself, my, and my two parents had breaking points at different times, um, in each individual ways. Um, and so, uh, you know, we stuck together, they were, you know, so positive around me and then, you know, struggled away from me, um, emotionally and individually, but at the same time, it was one of those things where no question it was bound to happen. And at the same time, um, uh, you know, again, like we, none of us in terms of our family would, would be where we are today without the people that, that really stepped up, whether it was teammates, parents and, and teammates um, or people that we've never even met with everything that they've sent us and, and supported us. So you mentioned that early on the therapist, the conversation was, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be here. I want to give up. And then at some point, Jack, it turned into a mantra, even a tattoo that says, I understand my injury. I don't accept it. Mm. Those are two very different ways of thinking about this. So I'm curious yeah. at the point of the conversation with the therapist to the point of, hey, I'm turning this shit around and I'm going to start stepping up and, and taking control. Um, when was that mm -hmm. shift and what made that shift happen? Yeah, um, I think honestly, the the conversation itself with the therapist was the turning point because I think um, within the twenty four hours after that, we met again, and it was. And I wish I I had a better memory of it, but I know I had that conversation of I don't want to be here and just you know pull the plug, and uh, within the twenty four hours we met again, and I think that's where whatever happened in those 24 hours, I wish I knew. Cause I think at that point, I, that's when everything kind of turned around and was like, all right, you, this is it. Like you don't have a choice. You can't go back in life and let's make the best of it. And that's, you know, something that um, I've obviously tried my best at doing from then on. And um, yeah, it's, it's weird because I, I just wish I knew the answer clearly but, you know, at some point after that conversation is when it turned around, because I think it, you had to have that rock bottom, you had to hit that low. And then after that, it couldn't get any worse. You know, 
you can't physically do anything about it. So at that point, you know, this is what you've got. This is what's going to happen. You've got to work your ass off and it's time to, you know, start focusing on the positives. And there were plenty of positives because of how much support I had. And, you know, given the situation, you know, there's a few things that I try to focus on throughout the day and, and, um, you know, in life that keep you going and keep you on a, a, the right path. And I think that's, that's kind of where it began. Sure. I know just from other injuries, football injuries, and, and hearing from more people that have been, you know, gone through paralysis that some situations are, they'll get feeling after like the next day or feeling will start to come back over days. Sometimes in rare cases that happens. And you talked about, and, I, and I've had a similar, not similar, I shouldn't say, I've, I had a traumatic knee injury cut open my knee. And the first thing I said was to my parents, let's just put a bandaid on it. We're going to be fine, right? And this yep. thing's cut open. I got like 50 stitches. It was dramatic. So the bandit was definitely not the thing, but your, your brain just goes there. You said it yourself. I'm going to be yeah. fine in two or three weeks. I think that's just the athlete mentality of like, just give me some time. I'll be fine. So I'm curious, Jack, was there a moment that you remember where it's like, you know what? This isn't two weeks. Uh, this isn't two years. This is going to be something I'm going to live with. Was there a moment for you that was like reality struck? Do you recall that? Yes. Well, yes and no, because reality struck within that first week. So the week that I don't remember, the only reason I remember is through people telling me Mm -hmm. is uh, the conversation with the doctors, because that was the whole, you know, we can fix the bone, we can't fix the spinal cord Mm -hmm. conversation. And that was, you know, um, you have these surgeries and I remember vaguely, you know, here, there, just little situations in that week of, you know, being in a operating room or a recovery room and stuff like that. And then conversation with the doctors was um, you'd be uh, lucky to have any movement on the left side of your body. And then you'd be lucky to bend your right arm. And my reaction was, no, <laughs> you don't understand who I am. Like, that's not, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm going to, you know, prove you wrong and, you know, this and that and, you know, fuck you. Like, you don't get it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I was obviously like in that mentality. And I think that's one of the areas where I was kind of like, okay, this can go one of two ways. Like, life's over or no, I'm going to prove you wrong. And obviously I've, you know, dedicated my life to, to proving the doctors wrong. And, um, uh, Within a within the first week, I was already moving the right arm. I was oh, already wow. being able to bend it and stuff like that. So much so that like I got my brother on the side of my bed and then like hit him. Oh wow! Moved my arm like yeah. into him a little bit. Yeah, and like enough force where it was like it was like, hey, what the heck? And then like at the same time, he's like, wait, no, do it again. You know. <laughs> um, And that's where, you know, he and I are extremely close. And, you know, obviously the big brother, little brother relationship, you always bully the little brother and deservingly so. But uh, uh, that was the first kind of start. And I think that conversation with the doctors, going back to your previous question, was definitely a turning point because it was like, okay, I'm an athlete um, and I know how to set goals. I know how to prove people wrong and you know, surpass, you know, your projection in life in terms of athletically and, and all these little things. So I think that was kind of where the athlete's mindset really started to take off. And that was, you know, to this day, obviously I have movement in both of my arms. I have a ton of control. I have bicep, bicep movement in both arms and, and, you know, 
have the ability to to move my wrist around on my right hand, which can control my fingers. So I've uh, I've come a long way, obviously, and a lot of that was due to the the extremely hard work in the first eighteen months of the injury, because that's kind of when you can recover the most. Paralysis, kind of the the rule of thumb, is within the first eighteen months. That's when you'll get your your recovery back. Everything after that is it tends to plateau um, in terms of what comes back physically or feeling wise. Um, but you can still get stronger in, in all those things after those first 18 months. And, and, um, you know, within the first 18 months, it was, you know, four and a half, five hours of therapy a day for four to five days a week. So, um, not fun by any means, but it's just, that became the, that became your career for a while. And it still is a part of it, rehab and, and, you know, staying active and physical. So, um, you know, the athlete's mindset took me, you know, far, far further than than anything that that could have in that situation after the doctors kind of put that prognosis out there. Right. And that was, that was going to be one of my questions today, Jack, was what do you think is something that you look back with something that you took away or what was a f- key factor before the injury that helped you after the injury? And I think you kind of answered yourself was that athlete mindset of, <laughs> you know, first going to practice every day. Now you're going to therapy every day. There's probably some Mm -hmm. similarities in that mindset of like, I just know that after school, I go play puck. Now, you know, in my work, I'm doing my rehab stuff. And then another thing too, that you said was, you know, that the athlete mindset of um, I'm going to prove you wrong. Right. And that, and having that kind of shift, is there anything else that you think helped you before the injury or sorry, something that you learned or somebody taught you before that played a huge role after without you maybe even realizing it? I think, I don't know if there was someone, but for me, it was the whole, um, the whole topic, or at least the whole focus of goal setting. Mm. So for me, you know, first, you know, to kind of go back on what you were talking about there is, uh, you know, we've all been told we're not good enough, or you're not going to be able to do this, or, you know, tone it back a little bit. You're not good enough for, for this or that. And for me, um, you know, as an athlete, that's just motivation for anyone. You know, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, this or that. So that was a that was the first thing that I think kind of started the the, the inner drive to prove people wrong. And then on top of it was the goal setting. So for me, it was, you know, okay, hockey. It was you know, make varsity, score your first goal, get your first hat trick, or whatever, help you know, win, et cetera, et cetera. And then that's taken away. And for me, it was, okay, um, the first goals uh, that I had post-injury, one was, um, the big one for me was to rejoin my class first day of junior year of high school, back in school. Um, So that was the big one. And I missed a whole semester because I was injured during Christmas break. So I, you know, had a few classes waived because of what I was doing, like science and stuff. I was learning more science than anyone at that time (laughs) at the age of 16, uh, given the life I was going through and what I was learning about um, your spinal cord and and everything that goes along with it. So uh, science was waived. um, So I had to take math and geometry, which I hated geometry. I'm I'm an algebra guy. So um, that was a tough one. So I had to take um, math and English, two classes um, over the summer slash in the hospital to get all caught up with my credits to be able to rejoin. Um, and so those were, were 
big focuses. And again, like as an athlete, and I hate to admit it, I just school was such an afterthought because it was all about hockey. And to anyone listening, you know, obviously you need to focus on school as well because you're not going to play hockey for your whole life. No matter how good you are, unfortunately. But um, those were were extremely important to me to be able to get those classes out of the way, you know, test into whatever I need to to pass them, and then on top of it, you know, get back to to school. And so that was a big one. That was a huge success. Um, graduating from Benilde was a big one. And then you know, aside from academically, it was you know to to rejoin hockey team in the locker room once the playoffs started so that was a big driving focus of of being physically capable because i could barely move a lot of muscles at the time and it was okay i need to be able to stay out of the hospital um for six hours and you know injured in december slash early january and then march is when the state tournament is but playoffs start two weeks earlier than that. So it was a matter of, you know, working my ass off for those first two months to be able to handle not being looked at 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a hospital room um, and being able to go out and leave the hospital for a few hours to be able to go to a game. So Mm -hmm. that was a big one. Um, But again, it was the goal setting. It's the a, you're told you're not good enough to be able to do it. So that's the driving force. And then on top of it, it was the the ability to to truly focus on on proving the doctors wrong and being able to to show that, you know, when you you truly, you know, put your mind to something, it, it is capable. So it sounds like those are a lot of the wins, right? To getting those little wins time after time. This is a health and podcast show. So we'd like to hear mm-hmm. a lot about the fitness side of things. And I'm imagining just from watching some of the videos of you um, that's been through the media in rehab, some of the stuff I could imagine, Jack, is very um, monotonous, maybe annoying, maybe something that's like, I can't believe I'm having trouble doing this when, you know, at 16, I was in prime shape of my life. <laughs> Talk yeah. to me a little about the dark days. And I'm just assuming that, that this is the case. Maybe that's not, but were there any mm-hmm. dark days of rehab and what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the the first uh, the first memory that comes to my mind in terms of like frustration and yeah. um, just disappointment, I think, in the abilities was probably I, I think maybe like about a month or so into to the injury. So I started at Hennepin County Medical Center, HCMC, in um, in downtown Minneapolis. And I was there for about two weeks. And that was when, you know, we didn't know if I was going to be okay. We didn't know anything at the time. And after that, I was transferred to Sister Kenny at Abbott Northwestern, which I believe is now called Courage Kenny. And that was the rehab I was there from the second week of second week of January till April 18th. So I was there for four months. And that was, you know, wake up, therapy, four hours a day, five days a week. You know, that's what you're here for. You're here to recover. And that's people with paralysis, people with brain injuries. You know, it's just a rehab acute center for people with like, you know, long-term stays. Um, and for me, um, that first frustration that I remember was one of my PT sessions 
there and it was just an arm bike you know you're just you got both hands on the the pedals um and you're just moving your arms in a circle and i couldn't get my left arm at all to to be able to to pedal it it was all on my right side and that was just like the most frustrating thing because you know again peak performance athlete you're in perfect shape at the age of 16. You're living the best life possible. Things were literally perfect for me. I could not have asked for a better situation in life when I got injured, which, you know, seems all too common, I guess, in, in many ways. But, you know, that was the most frustrating thing early on. It was just like, okay, you're looking at an athlete who was in peak performance and now he's he can't move uh, an arm bike with one arm. So that was the first thing. And it was just so frustrating because you just, you know, you, you went from the top of the world athletically to the absolute bottom in terms of having no ability to move anything. So um, internal, you, you internalize it in a negative way, but obviously it was a driving force to continue to, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, prove the doctors wrong. And, you know, it's become a obviously a common theme here in the last few minutes, but it was all just to to show that like okay, this is not good now, but it wasn't going to stop me. I wasn't going to let it affect me, you know, too much in the sense of being able to to let it defeat me. So, you know, it, it took a long, long while to to get past it, but um, that was a it was a little bit of a wake up call because that was like okay, like this. You know, you can say you want to recover, and and as the the first eighteen months, your your spinal cord swelling goes down, and you start to recover more. But those first you know few weeks, few days were were so important in terms of just getting into the swing of things, and that, that was uh, that was a tough battle. Yeah, I could imagine. Were there any times that you remember? You know, that left hand wasn't spinning, and you just want to be like, "Fuck this! I'm not doing. I don't want to do oh, this all the time. I'm, I'm out." Yeah, all the time, all the time. You just you know, and that's, you know, credit to the, the therapist there as well, who, you know, are, are trained and professionally, of you know, aware of, of the battles that, that these people are going through. Because, uh, again, like, I don't know how a lot of them do it because it's just so, there's so many dark stories. And again, I, you know, as someone who's coached kids since my injury in terms of hockey and, and seeing that success there's really no grat- more gratifying feeling than being a part of someone's success or seeing them finally click and get it. And, you know, to them, that has to be such a gratifying feeling seeing someone like myself at that age, you know, fail and then finally succeed. You know, those are the wins in life that you can really, you know, carry whether you're the person or you're the supporter. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's such a tough, tough life there. And, um, you know, it's a dark time, obviously, when I was trying to, to prevail and, and get that left arm to, to work on an arm bike and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, there were plenty of occasions just like that through those first four months in that in the hospital uh, or the rehab facility, just trying to to accomplish, you know, one thing after another, even though it, it felt like it never happened. Curious about environment. Something we talk a lot about on the show is environment, creating an environment that's healthy for you. And I could imagine being in a hospital for, you know, it's one, it's one thing to be in a hospital for the weekend, but you're, you're there. That's, that's (laughs) your, that's your home now for, for four months. Plus 
and you're surrounded, Jack, by people who are struggling. They are going through paralysis. They have all this stuff going on. It's a, it's a, it's a heavy environment. You've been in the hospital for an extended amount of time. You, it, it can weigh on you, especially also considering, I just thought of this, you're in winter in Minnesota, not a lot of sunshine going on around there. So there's a lot of just kind of, uh, it's just kind of dooming a little bit. And, and I'm curious, was there something that you were able to do to help, I don't know, either break away from it, improve your mindset, almost like get some sunshine on your face without actual sunshine, if you kind of can follow my analogy here. Talk to me a little bit about how, how you didn't get wrapped up in, holy crap, man, there's so much heavy stuff in these walls because that can weigh on you too, I, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'll start with, I was pretty lucky because I was sheltered a little bit um, by uh, not having all of that outside noise hit me. So because of how many people visited me in the hospital, mm. you know, I was able to keep my mind away from, okay, there's a guy with the stroke down the, the hallway, or there's a guy with, and at that age, I don't think it all, it really clicked too. No. Yeah. You know, at 16, like, you know, there was so much going on in my life that even as I, you know, go down the hallway to, to go to, to therapy or to go to lunch or something, it didn't even click that like, okay, that person's not looking well, or like, you know, that person's not doing well, or, you know, whoever's next to me and this and that, or whenever there was, you know, code, code blue, code red, whatever the hell they meant, whenever those things would go off on the floors and people would be running around, it just at that time, I guess it just never really clicked that, you know, some serious shit's going down. Um, but at the same time, it was, you know, a lot of that came from people always being there and your mind races when you have a life like this, when you're alone or when you're just, when your thoughts are to yourself and you have nothing to do, but let your brain wander. And for me, that's been the most dangerous thing is I always try to stay busy nowadays because I know if I'm just by myself doing nothing or just bored, negative things are going to start happening, whether it's like decision-making or it's just pure negativity running through the mind. Like I always try to stay busy. And I think that was the leading uh, beneficiary back in the day because it was Either someone is always around with me or I was always conversing with someone or staying busy in therapy and stuff like that. Because if I would have just sat in the room and did nothing, I just would have spiraled out of control in a negative manner. So um, those were, you know, I the thought process back then was kind of just a matter of, you know, staying focused on, on what I had to to do and you know without realizing it i think that was kind of the recipe for success so as we're going to chronological order here so you go back to school um it was either that if i'm recalling the story correctly i think so you got injured your junior year i think your senior year my sophomore, dad, so sophomore, sophomore year, sorry. Year. yep sophomore year christmas break i was injured and then went right. back to school junior year right so i think it was either it was junior year or senior year my dad who i've mentioned on the show has been on the show motivational speaker. He came out and spoke to you guys and a bunch of leaders at Benilde. And he told me, I remember vividly telling me how he remembers you coming into the room, Jack, having a very infectious smile. You, Once you come in, the room gets brighter and kids just wanted to be around you. And his thought was, 
you know, this kid has all the reasons in the world not to smile, not to be jovial, happy, and attract all these kids. Yet it's almost the opposite. He has this platform now, and all these kids just want to be around Jack. How, mm-hmm. do, how in the hell do you have that mentality, that mindset uh, after such a traumatic experience? Uh- yeah, you know, I've talked a little bit about it before in, in so many different conversations, but uh, the big thing for me was I was so, so thankful for the people that came to the hospital and visited me and wanted to help. Or, you know, the thing is, is that in looking back at it, like I understood that it was such a awkward situation. You know, what is someone going to come into the hospital and say, you know, you can't, it's going to be all right. Well, obviously it's not. So I understood that. And for me, it was last thing I wanted to do was let them leave in a dark situation. So whenever I was in the hospital and and the people that supported me um, from the day that I was injured all the way to when I got out of the hospital and was just trying to live a life and, and go to school was I just wanted to make things normal. I just wanted to shoot the shit and have a good time and, and be ourselves. Obviously I was injured and going through a ton of stuff, but as much as it was a dark situation for me, they brought so much light to me to be able to keep my mind away from things, as I mentioned, and just let us be teenagers and, and have a, a good time and, and try to keep that normal relationship. So for me, I was so thankful growing up after the injury, what, Again, whether I was in the hospital or I was in high school or whatever it was in those first, you know, two years, um, that I I just wanted to to have a good time and you know be myself as a personality opposed to as a, a disability that was that was obviously um, visually impacting. So um, that was the big thing. It was just a matter of like, okay, you know look at the situation I'm in. I wouldn't be here today without the people that supported me. And I'm so thankful. And it was a matter of whenever someone came into the hospital, you know, the last thing we wanted to talk about was what was going on. And it was a matter of like, let's just have fun and talk about life. And, um, you know, it, it was great because I was able to to have fun and, and still try to have that normalcy of a friend to friend relationship without the obvious, you know, being an impact on how we conversed or, or how we had to talk about things. So, you know, again, it was, I was just thankful and, and wanted to, to give back and, and let them leave with, you know, a smile on their face as well. It's mind blowing. And also admirable to admirable to me, Jack, that you are in this situation. People are coming to visit you. You have classmates that are around you and you, your mind is what I'm picking up on is more about, Hey, wh- how are you doing? Talk to me about, yeah. talk to me about you. I don't, we, don't, we don't need to continue to talk about everything I got going on, but here's the thing. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge mind shift, Jack, where people are, you know, there's, there's the mindset of victim mentality, feel bad for me. Let's talk about me. And you mm. took it the exact opposite, dude. You're like, Hey man, like, how are you doing? Let's, let's talk about you. Yeah. Well, I just like, again, like it was like, you know, as a, like, I know people felt horrible about what happened. Like, it's obvious, like, no shit. If anyone has a brain, you feel horrible when anything bad happens to, to someone. And, um, you know, that was, that's a given at least. And for me, it was like, like, you know, you have to get a conversation started. And it was a matter of like, 
I wanted to not only, you know, take the focus away from the obvious and the awkwardness. So let's talk about life and things that we can bond over and create and have things in common. And for me, it was a great way to just like stay involved. I didn't get disconnected from my friends. I knew what was going on. I was able to, you know, be a part of, of the conversation because, you know, we just talked as if nothing was going on. It was just a matter of them coming over and hanging out. Unfortunately, I was, you know, bed bound or, you know, stuck in, in, in a hospital, depending on the timing. And, and that, yeah, exactly. It was just a matter of like, okay, well, let's talk about something that A, takes away from the negativity of life right now and B, you know, can, can provide us, you know, a, a spark to just enjoy and act as if we're just teenagers shooting shit and gossiping and, and talking about this or that. It reminds me of the scene. Remember the Titans? You probably remember where Gary Bertier gets paralyzed <laughs> from waist down. He's in the hospital. They're talking yeah. football. Coach comes in and says, Hey, I think we need to do some prayers and things like that. He looks at him dead ass and says, I'm not dead coach. I'm alive. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the idea, right? Like, here's the thing. I got yeah. this bad situation that's happened to me, but it's in, it's, it's, it's in my control on how I respond to this. And that's a lot of what we talk about with stoicism and everything else that goes into that. And it's like n- nothing is good or bad in this world. It's how we choose to respond to it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Of course, he responds greatly. He goes in and, and becomes a pair paraplegic athlete and, and everything that goes along those lines. But I think you would agree everything that has come your way, you've had a decision, Jack, on how you want to respond to the adversity yeah. that comes your way. Is it adversity or is it an opportunity? Yeah. And that was the big thing. It was, you know, early on, it was a matter of, you know, how am I going to take this on? And obviously at first, uh, whenever that conversation came up with the therapist of, you know, I don't want to be here, it was all just out of fear, you know? And, you know, after that, it's, you know, let's take this bull by the horns and just, you know, see where this goes. And when you have that, the positivity and the attention and people wanting to help and, you know, as things developed while I was in the hospital, you see these whiteouts and Twitter blows up and your favorite artists are tweeting at you and your favorite athletes, you know, at 16, you're such an impressionable, impressionable kid where you know you see the the people you idolized and that you want to be supporting you it it just took it to a whole nother level of you know proving the doctors wrong but also making other people proud and wanting everyone else in that world to show or for you to show them that you know the time and energy that they are spending supporting you is is not going to waste yeah that's amazing so we go through high school you go through benilde you graduate uh, from benilde and then you decide to not only go to college but leave the state of minnesota <laughs> and i remember i, yeah. I recall you as i was preparing for the show i don't know if it's a news story or a podcast but basically saying you wanted to transition out because everybody knows you and knows your story and you are yearning for a fresh start why, why did you feel that way? Um, so I'll preface this with, I am so grateful for everything that I have in Minnesota, had in Minnesota, um, everything that I was able to, to, to grow up with post-injury, um, all the support, like, again, I wouldn't be where I am today without it. And for me, it was a matter of, I was in the media. I 
was it wasn't that I was like getting away from who I was, but it was more of like a I'm expected to be this person. And that was, you know, this I couldn't necessarily be myself at all times because I had to be this person that was, you know, formed in the media of like, okay, this is who Jack is. And while A, it wasn't false, that is who I am. But it also became someone that I had to be at all times. And I think I got away from happiness and, and myself and the pressure of having to be this person that, you know, is always expected to to be polite and on and this. And it's like, again, like I'm not making up this personality. That is who I am. But it was also someone that I didn't need to be at all times. And I felt the pressure and, you know, internally it kind of just, you know, was tough. So being able to get away, go to California and kind of get a fresh start was great because I could be myself without people knowing my history of, you know, the fame and the the attention and all the people that I know and the, you know, the, the, the contact list and the phone and all that and stuff like that. So I was able to go to college at University of Southern California, joined a fraternity and got to know people for who I was at that time and, and you know, who I obviously am. And then after the friendships develop, you can always, you know, I was able to be like, oh, by the way, you know, this, this and this, or I know all these people or whatever it is. And, and that was such a fresh start because it was kind of just a, a clean slate for me to be myself and and be the person I wanted to be. So um, it was a great opportunity first to come to USC. I was fortunate to get a scholarship. Um, I also left Minnesota because I can't control my own body temperature. So I'm always freezing cold. Anything mm. below 60, 65 and sunny, mm. I'm frigid. It feels like we're in a, a tundra. So mm. um, that to me was extremely important to be able to to be comfortable and you know when it's sunny out and you know life looks nice it, it helps a lot mentally so there were a lot of different factors that played into leaving minnesota and again like if if, if global warming hits and minnesota warms up i'll be there i'll be <laughs> back in a i'll be back in a heartbeat but you know until then or until things change with my body and the recovery um i don't know when i'll be back in, in minnesota full-time but um, I love it out here. It's been great. You know, USC has has been phenomenal. Um, graduating and, and being in a fraternity and, and everything that goes along with all of those little assets and um, you know intricacies. But um, again, yeah, I, I just had to get out because I just wasn't necessarily happy with the person I was on a day to day basis, or at least the pressure that I felt. Yeah, I could imagine mentally it was a very it, was so, it has to be so refreshing that. You know, when in Minnesota, you're a legend and everywhere you go, you're probably getting stopped, getting asked and having, <laughs> you know, doing interviews on the MyFit podcast like today and going through <laughs> all this stuff. I could imagine that that could be pretty overwhelming time after time having to relive that moment. And so when you go out to Southern California, you're hanging out with these bros who don't know any of that stuff. That's probably it probably I could imagine brings down the pressure and it just gets you back to let's just shoot the shit and hang out. Yeah, I mean, it just brought me back to, you know, while I'm not going to live a normal life or I'm not going to be able to have the normal um, uh, the normal abilities to enjoy college, I can be as close as that to, uh, or as close as possible. Um, and for me, it was, yeah, it was just a fresh start of let me just hang out with the boys uh, at the fraternity or in the social world uh, with all the sororities and stuff like that. And and just being able to to just be me, but also happen to be in a wheelchair. And um, 
again, you could always go back and, and tell people about your story. And obviously that happened thousands of times because um, you're not dumb. You obviously know it has to be addressed when you talk to people. Um, but yeah, it was just the, the ability to just be myself and the, the story of everything and what's happened isn't the first thing out of your mouth. You can sure. just be a normal person mm-hmm. was, was, uh, was a really, really fresh start and, and really helped the recovery and the, the mentality and, and my ability to kind of just, you know, start over and, and be a college kid at, at as normal as possible, you know, to start at least. Yeah. Good for you, man. So you're out in California and you're still able to keep hockey close to your heart, even though there's no <laughs> snow. Tell me about how did you get the opportunity with the LA Kings? And then also, what does that look like today? How does that, how does that look in your life today? Yeah. So I was, uh, when I started college, I obviously wanted to sustain hockey and, and didn't really know how, but um, you know, as anyone in Minnesota knows, the, the Minnesota hockey community is, is very saturated in Minnesota, but it spreads very far. And um, for me, the, the current COO of the LA Kings is a Benilde grad. He played uh, for Ken Pauly, the high school hockey coach there, um, who I also played for. So he and I had plenty in common and had had a lot of um, paths uh, across, even though we hadn't seen each other or met each other yet. So um, when I got out here, I, I kind of met up with him, talked to him about some interests of mine. And, and you know, while I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to, to get into hockey. So um, I started interning for uh, the Kings sophomore year and then um stayed with him for four more years as an intern when i graduated um in 2019 i started full-time in january of 2020 um as a content coordinator and i've you know now i'm a associate digital content specialist um and uh do a lot of things it's a lot of fun it's kind of a swiss army knife which is neat just being able to to have no day be the same so uh, currently, I, I help run our website. I'm in charge of the content, the written content on the website, the homepage. Um, I, I do a weekly web series slash podcast um, where we talk to you know personalities around the NHL or, or players and prospects within the Kings organization, and then and then do some feature writing um, for our super fans as well. So. Uh, it's super neat. It's it's great to be able to to get to know the players and get to know the the people around the the rink. Um, and uh, again, very fortunate to to have the opportunity and and definitely are trying to make the most of it. That's so cool. What does therapy look like now? Ten years later, is it still really intensive, four and a half hours, or does it kind of go down less? What does that look like today? Um, it's still intense. It's not four and a half hours. I do about an hour and a half to two hours a, um, a day for three days a week. Um, so it's walking on the treadmill, stretching, doing, you know, manual weights or physical weights, um, staying limber, staying loose. The most important thing for people with paralysis is to stay in shape, you know, after you've done the, the acute, the intense, you know, legitimate therapy that helps you get back everything you can. And, you know, once you get into the latter stages, it's about staying fit, staying loose, staying, you know, healthy and, and out of the hospital, most importantly, but also just being ready for, for when these medical advancements do come along and that you're physically ready and capable to handle, you know, the treatments that, that are going to be, you know, uh, there for, for everyone, um, 
down the road. So um, it's just a matter of, of being healthy, being active and, and staying loose and limber. Sure. Uh, it's a long road and by no means are you at the end of the road, but for in your position, you're probably in a position where you are able to mentor or reach out or help people that have gone through similar injuries. What type of advice or what type of things are you offering to kids, athletes that are going through similar paths than you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've reached out and had plenty of conversations with a lot of athletes that have had unfortunate injuries identical to mine. Um, and the big thing is, is the positivity. It's, you know, I, I went down that rabbit hole of negativity early on um, after the injury. And, and I understand that um, while the life that I have lived post-injury is extremely unique and very lucky to have the, the media attention and the support and the the, the people who know who you are and care and stuff like that with the, the outreach that happened. Um, I still know the, the, the day-to-day life emotionally of, of how much this can take out of you. Um, and to be able to, to avoid going down the negativity of the rabbit hole and staying positive and staying active and taking advantage of the opportunity to, to gain back what you can early on um, is definitely something that I try to preach. Yeah, very cool. Um, last thing here, I saw something on, it was one of the articles and, and you said, you mentioned on, you're on stage and said that over the last 10 years, a lot of people have heard about you and about your story, but they haven't necessarily learned or heard from you. As mm-hmm. we close down, Jack, what is something that you would like people to hear from you now that we're 10 years out? Um, well, the first thing is, is how thankful I am for, for everything that everyone did from anyone in Minnesota to, to wherever they were when they heard about it and wanted to support, whether it was, you know, sending something, donating to, to help, you know, the cause or, or whatever it may be. Um, so I'm so, so thankful because I truly would not be where I am today without the support. Um, early on and, and throughout these last 10 years. And the other thing is, is that, you know, for, for paralysis, you know, again, you know, this isn't the end, it's just the beginning. And I'm in it for the long haul in terms of trying to figure out how we can improve our lives. And with the foundation that I have that raises money for spinal cord injury research, um, you know, we're, we're plugging away. And, and I truly believe that there's a cure for paralysis. And at the very least, there's many different ways that we can um, improve our lives and improve the quality of our lives. So, you know, there's plenty of reason to be optimistic if you have paralysis or if you know someone with it and, you know, to stay with it, stay healthy physically and mentally and, and out of the hospital um, is something that I could not preach enough because, Lives are going to turn around. We're going to have a much better life as, as things move forward and uh, looking forward to the future. Awesome. Jack, how can my listeners help support you? Yeah. Um, if you're just looking for, for ways to follow me through work and stuff like that, you can check my social media channels on Twitter and Instagram and, and stuff like that. But um, most importantly, the Jablonski Foundation uh, or the Jack, Jack Jablonski Foundation is what it's called. Um, but jablonskifoundation.org is, is where our website is uh, for more information on the work we're doing, the research we're doing, where the money's going, 
what the future looks like and, and plenty of resources on, on paralysis information as well on uh, jablonskifoundation.org. So um, definitely worth checking out at least uh, to get a base of, of what life is like and, and how you can help as well. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Jack, man, you're an incredible um, inspiration and it's just so admirable to see your mindset and um, it, it's just incredible, man. I'm, I'm just amazed at the, at the person that you are and, and the, how you've taken such a traumatic experience and really shifted your life. And so I just really look up to you in a lot of ways. And I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. And I know for a fact that your words are going to inspire everybody that listens. So thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. If you guys enjoyed the show, uh, be sure to share it on Instagram. Tag Jack or I would love to hear what you got out of the show. Uh, and we'll see you guys next week for another episode on the My Fit Podcast. Take care. Have a great week. Bye.